to the Tennessee on Supply Chain Management podcast. Listen in as co-hosts Ted Stank and Tom Goldsby take a leap onto the ships of supply chain, crowd surf into the long lines of meeting holiday demand, and wade into the depths of warehouse inventory buildup. They'll cover all the relevant and current topics blocking the canal of your minds and discuss industry issues that keep you up at night. If you enjoyed the show, download and subscribe to Tennessee on Supply Chain Management, wherever you listen to podcasts. Without further ado, let's begin our show, where you'll hear what you'd least expect from the people you want to hear it from the most. Our co-hosts, Ted and Tom. Hey, Happy New Year, and welcome back, everyone. Hey, Ted, Happy New Year to you. Hey, Thomas, how you doing? Doing great. I know that the odds might have seemed against us, but here we are. We made it to 2022. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Seems like 2021, though, for some reason, yet again. Yeah, I know. Can you believe that we're entering our third year of this pandemic? I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? It is very crazy. It's hard to believe. But yeah, January 22 seems an awful lot like 21. Here we are talking about another COVID surge. I'm not sure we had quite the issues going on with the supply chain a year ago that we have right now. So it'll be an interesting conversation to look back a little bit over holiday season and also talking to our guests today about some of the uh, things going on in ocean transport. Well, that's that's right, Ted. We're going to look back a little bit. We're also going to look forward a, a bit as well. Uh, in terms of an agenda for today's podcast, our third Tennessee on Supply Chain Management podcast, we're going to briefly cover some current news, things like the new survey that came out on CEOs and their outlook on supply chain management, uh, some pretty significant uh, data points for us to talk about. Also, we want to take a look back at the holiday sales review that just came and went. I, I think that there's a, a lot of perspective that we can bring to that a few days post uh, and as you indicated, we want to talk about uh, some vagaries that are still out there in our supply chains and, and particularly talk about uh, what's going on on our oceans. And that's where we're going to bring in our guests today. We're going to be welcoming a couple of guests from the South Carolina Port Authority. But Ted, why don't we go ahead and lead off with that CEO survey? I know that garnered a lot of attention when I came across our desk. Yeah, there was an article that published about two weeks ago, I guess, reporting on a survey by a consulting firm called Alex Partners. It showed that 72% of chief executive officers are worried about losing their jobs in 2022 because of business disruptions, mainly due to supply chain issues, tracking closely with about 94% of them who say their corporate models need to be overhauled within the next three years. That's really interesting to me. It kind of jibes with the joke that we've had over the last almost two years that we should make Dr. Anthony Fauci a supply chain management Hall of Famer because of how he's put us in the spotlight for, for good and bad and indifferent. But Tom, one of the things that has me wondering about, and I'd love to get your take on it, is are we going to start seeing more supply chain folks move into that corner corporate office as business leaders? Because clearly it's become obvious in the last two years that you need to have that knowledge and skill set to run a company today. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's largely been the exception rather than the norm as most CEOs come up through marketing, sales, finance, what have you. But I think having that broad, holistic understanding of operations, that end-to-end supply chain that we teach day in and day out at UT, I can't imagine a more important knowledge base or skill set to have in terms of leading an organization today. And, you know, it's not surprising, I guess, that our two biggest retail stars, Walmart and Amazon, have long felt that they needed 
supply chain expertise in that senior leader's job. So, so maybe finally the rest of industry is recognizing this as we move again out of perhaps a strategy perspective that marketing and brand rules the roost. And maybe if we have a lot of demand that's created, but we can't get it in people's hands, maybe that's a bad thing. It's only half the equation, right? It's one thing to make the promises, something else entirely to deliver upon them. And I think we've all realized just how critical it is to do the latter, not just the former. But that is such a mind-blowing statistic that 72% of CEOs are worried about losing their jobs this year, uh, largely attributed to what's going on in the supply chain. Yeah. And again, I just think it's a tribute to the rising recognition of the importance of supply chain management and creating value for an organization. We recognize that, I mean, it's we do so many things that are cyclical, right? I remember talking back after the dot-com bust in the 90s that a lot of companies were so focused on their web page and making that look sexy that they didn't realize when real people went and clicked and pushed order that somebody had to actually make a product and deliver a product somewhere. And so much failure of dot-com was related to that. And here we are again, 20-some years later, having the same conversation on a bigger scale. Absolutely. Hey, one other thing I, I wanted us to touch on was a look back at the 2021 holiday sales. I think they turned out pretty solid. It was also fascinating to see where the sales were generated. We expected it to be another big dot-com online sales season, but it seems like people were encouraged to go back to stores and they did in a big way. What do you think of uh, the numbers you saw? Well, for one thing, how many interviews did you and I do in late October, November and December about Santa Claus isn't coming this year because the supply chain's broken. And so you better get out and get your stuff now because your kids are going to be crying on December 25th. And I mean, we just all knew that that was a bunch of media streaming, right? Now, one thing that really does come to bear on that is the recognition that companies had that we couldn't put all of our sales into two days, Black Friday and uh, what, is it, what is it? Cyber Monday. That we needed to spread it out. Again, you ask any supply chain person, does it make any sense to you that we're going to try to put all our sales in these two days? Clearly, that's a marketing and media hype. Let's spread it out over two months. And again, I remember the week after Thanksgiving, I had a call with a reporter that said, oh, you know, disappointing sales on Black Friday. What do you think? I'm like, let's look at holiday sales. It doesn't just have to be Black Friday, right? And sure enough, we see that we had a pretty significant bump in sales uh, over last holiday season. So, so good news there. Interesting news that while e-commerce exploded in 2020, it was still grew. It just didn't grow as much as it had grown in 2020 as a percentage of overall retail sales. I'm not that surprised by that. In 2020, we were all still sheltering. We didn't have vaccinations. And so we were all still ordering online. Things opened up, depending on how you felt about the Delta variant and now the Omicron variant. People are out a lot more today, myself included, than we were a year ago. So big surprise that went shopping. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we figured out how to operate in pandemic a bit, right? I, th I think we've realized that if we mask up and wash our hands and, and try to socially distance, you know, we can still function. And that's, that's a knowledge we didn't have, certainly in 20 and perhaps even uh, throughout much of 21. And so uh, I think that helps explain why the, even department stores did really well this past holiday season. 
Yeah, I mean, as long as you're not elbow to elbow with a bunch of people in a department store, my experience shopping was you could stay relatively far away from people. If you're masked up, I felt pretty safe doing it. So, hey, let's go shopping. Hey, speaking of going shopping, you um, engaged in maybe the most harrowing of all shopping experiences this holiday season. You tried to buy an automobile. Ted, tell us a little bit about your experience in auto world trying to buy a car this season. Yeah, you know, throughout this entire, other than when we were locked inside in March, April, May of 2020, and we really didn't know what the heck was going on with this. The eeriest experience I've had recently was trying to find a car. And I think most of us, if you drive down the road and you go buy car lots, you know, in the U.S., we pride ourselves about, hey, come on down to my dealership because I got most cars in the six county area, right? That's how we sell cars in the U.S. It has been noticeable to drive by car dealerships over the last several months and not see any cars in the lots. And so, yeah, we've pushed my wife's car to as long as it could go. And I don't feel safe, neither of us, with her out on the roads. We do a lot of driving in interstate. And so we said time is now to, to kind of get her a new car. We're going to try to wait out the pandemic, but that seems to just keep going. And so we said we're going to live with it and try to get a car. And literally, we went to about six dealerships in our area of North Carolina last week, and there was not a new car to be found. There were cars on the lots, but they were used cars. And oh, by the way, the used cars, particularly late model used cars, were selling at equal to or greater than price points for new cars. So we weren't going to do that. And we basically found a couple of different models that she liked and then shopped around to see which one we could get the soonest. So we ended up getting a Subaru Crosstrek because she likes kind of the hatchback and she likes to do a lot of outdoor stuff. And here's the really interesting thing about this, Tom, the Subaru Crosstrek that we put a deposit down on does not yet have a VIN number because it is sitting in a post-production parking lot somewhere. We couldn't tell whether it was in Japan or California, but does not yet have a finished VIN number because it does not yet have a semiconductor chip assigned to it. So it's not yet a finished product, so they can't give it a VIN. And it's supposed to come sometime in January, and I don't really buy that date. Yeah, you're wondering which side of the ocean it's on because that could mean several weeks difference, right? But I think you also shared with me that you tried to buy the demo and there was no going down that path. (laughs) Well, yeah, they told me they weren't allowed to sell the demo, that Subaru wouldn't let them sell the demo. They have to have it for like six months or something. I'm sure it's some manufacturer dealer relationship thing. But yeah, yeah, you know, without knowing that I was in supply chain, one of the sales reps saying, yeah, I think it's in a lot in Japan. And once you put a deposit on it, they'll get that chip installed and put it on a ship and you'll have it by the end of January. And this was like December 30th, right? I'm like, yeah, Jack, that ain't happening. (laughs) (laughs) That's if everything goes right. We, of course, know in supply chain, that's a big impossibility right now. And Hey, something else I wanted to incorporate here before we bring in our guests was uh, some big news the last couple of days. The New York Federal Reserve Bank devised a new index that's garnering an awful lot of attention right now called the Global Supply Chain Pressure Index. Consists of 27 different inputs that go into it, and there's an awful lot of interest around it. Media's picking up on it. Ted, have you had a chance to, to study that and look into it at all? I actually saw it this morning, Tom, and it was interesting to me mainly for one 
very graphical notion. And that's that you saw this baseline. And I can't remember when they started tracking the number. And then over the last year and a half that it just jumps precipitously, you know, like this giant mountain appears on the statistic. So yeah, we got a lot of pressure today and talk to any of your friends working in the supply chain. And I don't think they'll be surprised by that. Yeah, it comes as no surprise, right? They're offering these index values uh, using standard deviations. And I think they said it was like 4.36 was the most recent reading, which uh, they are using data going back to 1997, where that data is available. And they're using some pretty common metrics around ocean shipping rate indexes, as well as some purchasing manager indices and uh, a host of uh, nation-specific data points that that are available for for the most part over the course of that you know nearly twenty five year period, but I don't know about you how, how to feel about uh, such a big hybrid metric like that. I like those independent indices, but when you bake them all together, I'm not sure what you get. You know, I saw one commentator refer to it as a Frankenstat, uh, which I thought was pretty poignant. And hey, I know you like beer, I like beer, but do you like banana flavored beer, Ted? I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, you know? I do not. <laughs> I didn't think so. Well, you know, I think it's a, a relevant point that you know, our supply chains remain in, in something of a crisis mode. So maybe that metric is worthwhile. And hey, if it garners attention for the supply chain, maybe that's not all bad and maybe helps to inform our policymakers a little bit. I think one of the good things about it is that it brings a lot of things together in a very graphical way. So people who are maybe not as attuned to the industry as, as we are can look at that and go, oh, yeah, there's an issue here. Yeah, for sure. Well, certainly a lot of those forces exerting pressure in our supply chains are how globally extended our supply chains are stretching around the world as we source all over the place still, trying to feed our domestic markets and, and then also trying to uh, to serve more customers around the world. That means that we're relying on, on ocean and air to connect the dots and, and most freight is going to move over the water on the oceans as the world has become glaringly knowledgeable about in in recent months. But, you know, as you and I have waxed rather philosophic about this stuff, it occurred to us that maybe we ought to call upon some pros to come onto the podcast and tell us what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, as well as maybe what the future might have in store. Actually, you're being very pleasant about this, Tom. What it really was, was that we went out to dinner with uh, one of our really good friends, Jim Newsom, who is the uh, CEO and president of South Carolina Ports Authority. And he had listened to our second podcast and he's like, you guys are a bunch of academic jerks. We need to get some real experts on. And so he said, myself and Barbara Melvin, my current COO and um, becoming CEO president on one June of this summer, would love to kind of join you and set you guys straight on what's happening in port world and ocean shipping world. So with that introduction and background, Jim and Barbara, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Always super interesting to talk to you all. So what are you seeing out there? Uh, What's Omicron going to do to this? Talking about port shutdowns in China again, more constraints. I'm certain there's not going to be a lot of assets coming online this year to really improve the asset side of things. Um, rumors of a West Coast labor strike, all kinds of things that might impact this world that you all live every day. What are your thoughts? What's going on? Well, Happy New Year, uh, Ted and Tom. I, I didn't call you a jerk. I may have called you an academic. <laughs> I heard it the same way, Jim. So I got, I got halfway there, but, but it's certainly nice to be with you all. And I would just start off by saying that I think for a long time we 
had a very reliable import supply chain, which people came to rely on. You'd have issues here or there, but nothing really structural. You know, that all changed in the pandemic. In essence, tried to put about 20% more volume through what was really a finite supply chain capacity-wise. And a lot of the issues that we experienced now were things that were going to happen anyway. In other words, truck capacity was already stretched, the age of chassis, the lack of new terminal capacity. So the pandemic was in a way an accelerant or kind of some rocket fuel that really brought the trends forward today. And and I think that's where we sit right now. So everybody knows way more about the import supply chain than they want. And the reality is we've got about 2 million TUs a month of import capacity in the U.S. port industry, and we're moving about 2.5 million. So when, when we get back to normal, things will return to normal. Barbara may have something she wants to add to that. Well, thank you, Ted and Tom, for having us on. Jim, I think you you covered a lot of what we needed to say, but you also ask a little bit about Omicron and will that affect us? And, you know, I think we're all kind of COVID tired, and yet this variant seems to be quite resilient and moving quickly. Uh, So we're going to have to kind of ramp up our our game and make sure that as supply chain essential workers – uh, that we take care of ourselves, take care of our families, and make sure that you know we are available for work again. You know, we uh, we successfully navigated, I believe, in this country uh, the last challenges of the supply chain, and we'll do it again. Uh, and we're better armed with vaccines in our arms and boosters, perhaps even. And I think that we will continue to make our way through this. And for all those CEOs out there who might be worried about their jobs, I would say perhaps use a different gateway. Uh, for your supply chains in the future. Yeah, you know, I was going to suggest another statistic I saw this morning was that Savannah is down to, I think, only five ships in waiting, whereas LA Long Beach is down to only 101. So, um, you know, Charleston just up the coast from Savannah, I think is pretty well positioned. And one of the things I wanted to ask you all about is what would a well-advised CEO who's worried about losing their job this year in 2022, what would you advise them in terms of looking for ways to, to get around this? I would say that, you know, there's been a long-term trend, really a 20-year trend to moving freight from the West Coast Gateway to the East Coast and Gulf Coast because 70% of the people live east of the Mississippi River. And there's no real reason to move 40% of the freight in this country through LA and Long Beach, you know, on that basis. That's kind of like trying to sell all your holiday sales on two days. Right? right. And I think, as Barbara said, people have to diversify their gateways. I believe we're that's been a trend over the last 10 years. I think that will continue. And I think we have a shortage of distribution center capacity. And that's been written about. You know, again, that was before the pandemic with e-commerce. And when distribution center capacity doesn't exist, they have to leave the cargo in a container and does the containers dwell longer on the terminal. So the first challenge is to get a ship at dock and get the cargo off the ship. Once you do that, then you've got to get the cargo off the dock into a distribution center. And it is a supply chain. I think that's what Barbara and I have learned. It is a, it's aptly named. And if one aspect of it fails, the whole thing fails. And that's what I believe we're dealing with. There are no quick fixes. That's the other side of this. It's not something that's just going to happen if you open a port 24 hours a day. That's almost a ridiculous suggestion, really. Yeah, that's that's been the real suggestion. I, I think you've helped to illuminate us back at UT. We should point out that both Jim and Barbara are proud UT alums, so we enjoy 
regular dialogue with them. And it's been really worthwhile for us to gain that perspective from the two of you over the course of the pandemic and the logjam that uh, everyone's wanting to try to figure out. But you're absolutely right. It's a whole series of events that have to happen in order to uh, ultimately serve the customer. But to a point that you were making at the outset, I have to believe that there's been tremendous opportunity for those of you on the East Coast, as you point out, with 70% of the population east uh, of the Mississippi, and uh, you all very conveniently located in the Southeast, I gotta believe that there's a compelling argument to be made, not only for freight to come from Europe, land on the East Coast as it does routinely, but also that freight to come into the U.S. from Asia as well. Have have you all been making some inroads there? You know, I think that we have. I think that the investments in infrastructure with the Panama Canal, with the ability to move more freight by rail as an alternative to just land bridge truck from the West Coast. I mean, I think that the East Coast has taken great care in making investments to create a network to allow for a competitive product to West Coast advantages from the transit time perspective, uh, you know, I, I believe that we are. I mean, when you look at investments in raising bridges on the East Coast, in deepening harbors, uh, it's pretty unmatched with regards to our commitment to take market share and continue to increase our market share from Asia. I think the growth is also in a different type of capacity. You know, e-commerce is much more driven by small, efficient transloads with a lot of trailer parking, and those don't historically exist. So there are a lot of new distribution center projects out there, and with the southeast growing population-wise, I don't think many people are moving from South Carolina or Tennessee back to New Jersey. So that should also accelerate the need for distribution capacity, which helps us having a big port, basically. You're absolutely right. So, Barbara, you and I have talked about this before a little bit. You know, you talk about infrastructure and infrastructure development and how we may not have had as much of that as we've needed in certain areas. What's your thoughts on how this infrastructure bill that just got passed last fall is going to potentially impact transportation infrastructure in general and port infrastructure specifically? I think the key, Ted, for this to be successful is speed of that money to the ports and to the projects. We can't have regulatory delays that call for re-permitting projects. We can't have visions of port projects. We have to put this money towards real efforts that are already underway. If we're still talking about how to place this money in 10 years, it's a failure because you know this is the port currency today is capacity. And if you can't create capacity in a timely manner, you are again addressing issues that will be last generation issues. So I think that the this bill, which is great, and we were supportive of it. One of the key components of it is addressing something that Jim mentioned, which is having the ability to attract more drivers into the trucking market. So there's some key issues that this bill helped us address there. But with regards to actually putting this money into the hands of people who are going to create the infrastructure to support the supply chain, that has to happen now. It can't happen after we pass papers back and forth for three years and finally decide what we may build and what we won't build. Hey, I have one more question before we give you guys a chance to have a last comment and wrap Jim, you mentioned this notion that we're trying to ship two and a half million containers and we have capacity for two million containers. To me, smart academic that I am, that says that there's two ways of attacking this, right? We can increase capacity, which in our world takes a really long time, or we can decrease demand. 
what do you think is going to happen to change that in the short term, if anything? Well, I mean, we've had a real transposition of buying more goods in lieu of services in the pandemic, you know, something that hadn't happened in 50 years as we improved our standard of living. That's obviously going to revert a bit. So demand should moderate. But we've got some serious issues to address. You know, trucking is not a homogeneous business and container trucking has a, a lack of capacity and it's arguably losing capacity. So we're working, Barbara and her team are working on some internship programs where we can attract more people to the industry and the same with new chassis and things of that nature. Maybe maybe Barbara wants to cover a little bit on the trucking side. I'm happy to, Jim. You know, one of the challenges that we have in this country is we lose an 18-year-old because they're not really considered qualified to drive, particularly for container dray markets, until they're about 26. Some of that is CDL-related. Some of that is insurance-related. But in general, if you have to wait that long, you're going to develop another career skill. So I think that we have to do better in documenting military experience. We have to do better in allowing these kids who are coming out of high school and want to be involved. Driving is a, you know, it used to be the the greatest movies out there, driving a truck, so to speak. We have to make it, as you said earlier, Ted, sexy again. It has to be something that our kids are going to want to do. And we have to also retrain the population to understand that truck drivers are important. They are not a nuisance on the highway. They have as much right to be there as you have the right to want your toilet paper on the shelves. Well said. But you're absolutely right. I I grew up in a period with uh, Smokey and the Bandit and BJ (laughs) and the Bear and Convoy and all that, right? These days. Absolutely. And way of wrap, could I have maybe a directed wrap here? I I think it'd be a wonderful opportunity for us to get a little perspective from Jim in terms of where he's been in his career. Again, as you point out, he's going to be uh, retiring June 1 as the CEO, president of uh, South Carolina Ports Authority, and meanwhile, handing the reins over to Barbara. So maybe we can get a little bit of perspective from Jim and then maybe a little bit of future outlook from Barbara. Well, I've had an interesting 45-year career. My father was in the port business in Savannah. I've Ended up in the container shipping industry, never really planned to run a port and got the opportunity to run a wonderful port 13 years ago. And we've been able to double our volume. You know, we have a great team. So the future's bright. It's time to turn the reins over. You can only be CEO for so long. And, and Barbara's an excellent successor and the port's in very, very good hands years to come. And hopefully I can find something else productive to do. So. Hey, hey, don't forget about us here at UT. We need some help here. So uh, we want to we keep uh, keep you connected with us. Yeah, we've sure. got about 1,600 undergrads that need to benefit <laughs> from your insights, Jim. Yeah. Well, and Barbara, I don't know if you have. Yeah, I can, I can tell you, Jim, you know, if you took 1,600 people under your wings as you did me, uh, the supply chain would fix itself within five years uh, because the experience and knowledge that you have is unmatched with regards to how to keep our goods moving fluidly. You know, Jim left us with a roadmap. It's not like when Jim came to our port and took over and we were going to have to climb out of a loss in volume. He's left us with a great roadmap to basically provide a great product to our customers. And that means excellence in our operations, which will lead to financial stability. We have some unmatched infrastructure already, but we have some more to finish Uh, We're going to start a chassis pool here in South Carolina based on some 
very strong leadership with Jim to take our future in our own hands with regards to providing that utility to not only attract motor carriers, but make sure that we can move our goods. Uh, We're going to build an intermodal facility that is dual served for CSX and NS. We're going to operate a barge. We're going to build phases two and three of our new terminal, and we're going to modernize our North Charleston terminal after an air gap restriction is removed from the bridge. So, you know, there is a lot to do here. And most importantly, as we continue into the retail sector, that will influence as much of our growth as anything else while we still support advanced manufacturing. And then finally, Jim has taught us all here, and I hope to continue it, that the differentiator for a port is the people. So if I can continue to motivate our people and cultivate our culture and have people believe that we will be the preferred port here, uh, we will be successful. Wow. Well, again, it's been wonderful for us to witness what's happened at the South Carolina ports. And certainly Jim has been instrumental. Barbara, you've been instrumental as the COO. And it has been in good hands and continues to be in good hands. And hey, any way we can help here at UT, provide resources insights or, or even a source of ribbing and, and some, some good fun. We're happy to do that too. I think uh, with that, Ted, what do you think? Are we ready to put a wrap on the, on this episode? I think so, Tom. Let's, um, let's tell our thousands and thousands and thousands of followers to make sure that if they have questions for next time, they can submit them to gsci at utk.edu. And many, many, many thanks to Jim and Barbara. It's always great to spend some time with y'all and hope to see you either in Knoxville or Charleston real soon. Well, thanks for having us. And we will willingly remove the academic moniker now. (laughs) Thank you all. Happy New Year and cheers. Happy New Year's and cheers indeed. Thanks for listening to Tennessee on Supply Chain Management. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe via your favorite listening platform, such as iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Leave a reply in our show notes at gscipodcast.com or email your questions to gsci at utk.edu. Join us next time in our pursuit to prove that supply chain management is more fun than you think.